And the page number for this is 101025. 1025. And um, we're going to continue reading and studying in John chapter 13. For those of you that have led up to this point, you know that Jesus has entered the final week of his ministry. He's one week away from going to die on the cross. And as he enters this time, he gives a final word to the public, and he preaches a message to the public and to the masses of people. But then he takes time to be alone with his 12 disciples. These are the ones that followed him, that spent so much time with him, they've served him, they've learned from him. And you have to try to put yourself into their mind. Their world is going to get turned upside down. They imagined probably that Christ would would take over the nation and would rule as king. Uh, but instead, he's going to be crucified on a cross. And in their mind and in their hearts, they, they may have doubted or wondered or been confused. And Jesus can see what's happening, but the disciples cannot. And he knows what's about to take place. And he knows that this season will be very difficult. It's difficult in its own way. The, the, the events are difficult. But he also knows that the disciples will flee from him and will abandon him. And can I just point out that whenever we fail the Lord, he already knew ahead of time that we were going to fail him. And his love continues. I'm thankful for that, that fact. So we're going to read in John 13. And um, at this moment where we're reading, Judas has just left the room. Judas is the one who will betray Jesus. He was one of the twelve. But he is going to sell Jesus out for money and give him over to his enemies. So if you're able to stand, stand with me for the reading. John 13, beginning in verse 31. John 13, verse 31. Page 1025. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you yet a little while. You shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this uh, record of your words that you gave this night. And Lord, you had important things to say and I pray today that the Lord Jesus will be glorified and magnified in our midst. I pray that we will learn to love one another as you have loved us. 
And I ask you, Lord, that you will also help us to trust you, that you know the future, that you know our future steps, and we can always trust what you say. Help us, I pray. Help every heart in this room to be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. I don't know if you've ever had a secret, or maybe you had something that was very personal, and you had a group of people that you wanted to share it with, but there was one person there that you knew would maybe not receive it, would maybe gossip about it, or wouldn't believe you, or would uh, have some negative thing to say. And so you're wanting to share your heart, you're wanting to say something important, but you, you have to wait. And so you have this on your heart and mind, and you have to wait, and then finally when they leave, maybe they leave the, the party, or they leave the room, or they leave the conversation, whatever it is, then you open up and you share what you're really thinking. Jesus has held back some of his things that he's wanted to say until Judas leaves. Judas the deceiver, Judas the one that would eventually betray him, and Jesus, he waits until the right time, until Judas is gone, to say these sorts of things. And he's going to share uh, what's going to happen, how God is going to work, and he's going to leave some commands with these, his, his people. But I want to just remind us also of one other thing, and that is that when Judas would betray Jesus, it is a situation that looks like Jesus is weak, that Jesus is making a mistake, that Jesus is failing, and somehow the evil one is succeeding. Now, if we know the truth, we know that's not the case, right? Jesus wasn't failing. And in fact, he is going to say that this is actually moving along just as God has intended. There's one branch of Christianity that says that God is powerful and sovereign. And what he does is he, he makes all the decisions that everyone makes. He makes decisions for them. And they say that's a display of his power. However, I'm, I'm not of that persuasion. I believe that God gives people a that he also accomplishes his will even in the midst of that. And to me, that shows the great power that's going on here is that Judas is going to do his evil deed and Jesus is still going to accomplish God's purpose. Judas is free to make his awful choice and Jesus is saying, I will still move forward with what God has given me to do. And instead of it being against the plan of God, it fits with the plan of God. So the, the disciples didn't understand. Verse 31 says, Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall glorify him immediately. Jesus is saying, Now that he is gone, this is rolling. This work of God is happening this plan of God is unfolding, and God is going to be glorified. What does the word glorified mean? Well, when Jesus was glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, he began to shine. He began to shine with a light, and he said, I will be glorified, I will be transfigured before you. And the idea of God being glorified is that he is able to be seen. You know that some people do not know God. They don't know the Lord Jesus, and so they don't see him. And when God is glorified, they have a better picture of who God is, of who he is. And the, if we could say it this way, the light shines upon Jesus, and it, it reveals him to be who he is. 
Jesus is saying the Son of Man is going to be glorified. God the Father is going to be glorified. But let's remember what was about to happen. Jesus was going to be on the cross. He was going to be bleeding. He was going to be shamed. People would mock him. They would say unkind things. He would be publicly humiliated. And it is at this moment that the enemies of Jesus would say, we have won. We have defeated Jesus. But Jesus says, no, this is the time where I'll be glorified. Now, maybe, maybe you remember this, but earlier, Jesus had talked about this and had, had made some, some statements. So back in John chapter 12, um, I want you to look in John 12 and look with me at verse 27. John chapter 12, verse 27. That's just a page back there. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this reason I came to this hour. Then what what does Jesus pray next? Father, glorify your name. You remember this? And there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, as he goes on, he talks about how he'll be lifted up from the earth and he will draw all people to himself. Jesus is lifted up on a cross and Jesus has prayed, Father, glorify your name. Jesus believes the prayer is being answered and now just a couple days later in that room, he says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Now the Father is going to glorify himself and he's going to glorify himself in me and he's going to do it immediately. Just recently, I was, I was talking with someone about the cross, and I was explaining how the cross is a, a picture of the love of Jesus for us. And it is when Jesus was displayed to the world. It is when Jesus was uh, given as a sacrifice for our sins. And the fact that it is empty shows that Jesus is resurrected, that he's not on the cross currently. And when we, when we talk about the cross, we reference what Jesus did on that cross. He died there, then he was buried, and then he rose again, and that cross is empty. Jesus here says, the Son of Man is glorified. God is doing a work where Jesus will be glorified. But let me ask you a question. In that moment, the disciples didn't understand it, right? They didn't understand it all. And then in, in just another day or so, they would, they would uh, see it very differently, and they would be saying, this is the worst thing that could happen. God's not getting the glory from this. Satan's getting the glory from this. This is going all backwards. And can I just remind us that sometimes we sit in church and we hear, now God will be glorified in us and God will do his work and God will get the glory. And we say, okay, well, I don't know how that's exactly going to happen. And then later that week, we see something really fall apart. And we say, oh, this is Satan. This is Satan. And it's got to be evil, and this is against me, and look at how awful this is. And we think that there's no way that God is getting glory out of this. But you know what? God has a way of taking evil and bringing good out of it. He has a way of taking failure and turning it into something that showcases his working. We like to look at things from our perspective. But Jesus here, with the perfect point of view, says God is glorified. Look at what the Son of Man is glorified. Right now, God is getting the glory. And we want to give him the glory, but we also want to recognize that he's going to keep glorifying himself. Um, Ironside said it this way, We may say that in his death upon the tree, God has received more glory than he ever lost by Adam's sin. 
and by all the guilt and the enmity and iniquity that came into the world since. Think about this with me. Right here today is a Sunday, and we gather here, and there are others gathered in the city, there are others gathered across the nation and all around the world. There are Christians every morning this week who have gotten up and have opened their Bible and have prayed the Lord for His grace and have looked to Him in thanksgiving for their, for their salvation. And all that is traced back to what? The cross of Jesus. When Jesus died, all throughout the years, all throughout the world, millions of people have turned to him in faith and have given him glory and love him and are so thankful for the forgiveness that he has given. And can we agree now with the text that the Son of Man is glorified? That God is glorified in him? Can we agree that, yes, God glorified him right then and there and all throughout time now? We have seen how Jesus has been glorified. Now, the one other thing I want to point out here is that God is glorifying Jesus, not us. God is not out with the purpose of glorifying us. And we ought to glory in him. We ought to rejoice and boast in him and not in ourselves. There's a song that says, I will glory in the cross. And it starts off by saying, I boast not of works, nor tell of good deeds, for not have I done to merit his grace. All glory and praise shall rest upon him, so willing to die in my place. So I will glory in the cross, in the cross, lest his suffering all be in vain. I will weep no more for the cross that he bore. I will glory in the cross. This was the moment. This was the time that Jesus would be glorified. And uh, we see this uh, in, his, in his words, but then we see it as the story unfolds. Now, I just want to point out in verse 32, um, Jesus, a little bit later in John 17, is going to pray this prayer to the Father. And now, O Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus and the, the glory of Jesus and the glory of the Father are the same glory, and we give them the same worth and the same worship in our hearts. And Jesus prayed that way. That's not a prayer I pray, okay? That's not a prayer you pray. Only Jesus can pray that sort of prayer. And he said this type of thing in other places as well, that the glory that God would get would be his. Now, in verse 33, we see Jesus give some bad news. Listen to what it says. Little children, I am with you yet a little while. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Jesus now says that he's going to go away. Jesus is going to go away. If you've had a friend or a family member know that they were approaching death, they may have had a time where they could speak with you, where they could say goodbye, and where they pass away and they're gone. Jesus tells his disciples, and he calls them little children, I wonder if they kind of bristled at that one a little bit, right? We're not little kids. But he says, I'm going away. And, and he makes it very clear, you're going to look for me, but where I'm going, you can't come. And these disciples are, are broken. They're disturbed. They're, they're frustrated at these words. And if you'll notice something, <laughs> Jesus goes on to talk about the new commandment and so on. I think verse 34 and 35 just went right over their heads and out of their ears because in verse 37, they come right back to this, this topic. Um, and, and Peter brings it up. And so uh, they really honed in on what he said here and they really 
uh, did not like it. So Jesus says he's going away. Now he, he says, as I said to the Jews, this is in John 7, verse 33 and 34. And he said there, I am with you yet a little while, and then I go to him who sent me. You shall seek me. And then he says to the Jews, and shall not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now in this passage, he does not tell them they will not find him. Interesting little difference, because they would indeed one day be reunited with the Lord Jesus. To the unbeliever, Jesus would disappear, um, never to be with them again. For the believer, however, he says, um, where I am, you cannot come at this time, is the idea. So he tells him he's going away. But listen, if you would, at verse 34 and 35. This is probably the heart of the message today. He tells them this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Here we find Jesus gives a new command. This new command, he tells his disciples, is to love one another. To love one another. Now this is one of those commands of the Bible that is so simple, it's so sweet, and we just kind of maybe think to ourselves, that is exactly what we want in, in our Christian life. Um, however, to live this out fully is not the easiest of commands, is it? And I love the context in which it's given. Jesus, the night that he's saying goodbye, says to these men, I want you to love each other. I want you to love one another. And there's going to be a lot of upheaval. There's going to be a lot of change. And he urges them to love each other. Let's uh, review this just uh, uh, going through each of these phrases and just bringing out a simple truth from each one. First, before we do that, love is found just a few times, maybe three or four times in John 1 through 12. Love is very rarely referenced. In John 13 to 21, the second part of the book, it's one person counted 44 times mentioned love is emphasized. And so he says it's a new commandment, a new commandment. Was it really new? Was it really brand new? I mean, this idea that we should love people. Was love talked about in the Old Testament? You say, no, it's just a bunch of rules. No love back then. No, there was, there was a command to love. In fact, the chief command is to love God. And then the next command was to love your neighbor as yourself. So love as a topic is not brand new. Him saying that he's giving them a new commandment, he's not saying this is a new topic that you've never heard of before. Um, but but he's, I believe he's emphasizing the loving one another. And he's emphasizing this term, one another, you're going to find all in the New Testament. And you know what it means? It means believers. Believers ought to love believers. We ought to have a love for other Christians that is unique and different than just our love for humanity. Christians are called to love all people, to have a care and compassion for all, the needy, um, our neighbor, anyone we come into contact with, we ought to love others. But then Jesus says to love one another. And I believe this is a, a different level or at least a different application of this command to love. It is a new commandment. Notice here, he also says, and we'll get to this a little later, but he says, as I have loved you. Now, that's a whole other measure there as well. But first, I want to emphasize that next after this, verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you. This is a command of God to love one another. Sometimes I think we look at loving people as like a bonus. 
You know, we do the bare minimum and then we go even beyond that and we're just, we love people and that's like a bonus. And we're really nice because we love people. No, actually, when we love others, we're simply obeying the minimum command of Jesus, right? That's not going beyond. That's just, that's just fulfilling the, the basic requirement of Christ, to love others. To love one another, he says. And, and this is a commandment given by God. And when we do not love others, we are breaking God's law. Um, this is an important thing because love is not just an external thing, but it comes from our heart. And in order to love people from our heart, that means we have to have a heart that's changed by Christ, don't we? We can't just, you know, tie a string around our finger, all right, today I'm going to love people, you know, check that off the list. No, it's a heart attitude to love others. Quick question for us. Can people tell that we are a loving person? Do people know when they think of us, that person loves me? Not do they love Jesus, although they should definitely think that, but do they think that person loves me? He says, love one another. And can I just remind us that this is a brotherhood love, and that should happen right here in this church as well. We ought to love each other. And the love that, that uh, Jesus is talking about is a love that goes um, beyond just the surface, you know, just, just the fringe or just kind of appearance. It's a love that, that loves someone in their worst moments and loves them patiently and loves them in an ongoing fashion. Loving one another, a brotherhood love, a love for other believers. But notice in, at the end of verse 34, he tells them this, as I have loved you, as I have loved you. Now, this is probably the phrase that really moves this verse into the real difficult category. It's one thing to just say love people. But now he says you need to love people the way I have loved you. Now we're talking about serious love. Now we're not talking about just being nice. We're talking about a deep, sacrificial, divine sort of love. The way that he has loved us. Well, Ephesians 5 says the same. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Another verse in 1 John 3 says, By this we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. In other words, Jesus loved me even to death, and I should love the brothers and sisters of Christ even unto death. Now that is a, that is a deep commitment. But you know, the thing I want us to see here is that Jesus did not give them a list of 28 ways to love each other. He just said, the way I loved you. And I think in their mind, they could go back to different ways that Jesus loved them. But Jesus is giving them an example, and he's saying, this is what love looks like, how I treat people. That's love. And you love people the way I have loved you. This shows me that the love is best taught, not in words, but in deeds and in example. If you had to, in your mind right now, say, the one person on this earth who loved me the most, who would come to your mind? And, and I'm not looking for Jesus as the answer. Someone on this earth, okay? Who has loved me the most on this earth? Think about who that would be. Maybe it would be a, a spouse. Maybe it would be a parent. Maybe it would just be a really good friend. But you say, this is the person that loved me the most. Now, the reason that you think of them is because of the actions and the love that they've showed to you. 
And that love that you appreciate so much and that you, you remember and that has impacted you, it was not someone who got out a list each day and just said, all right, today I will write them a note. Today I will send them $5, whatever it was, right? They didn't love you in a mechanical code sort of way. They simply, from the heart, cared about you, put your interests first, sacrificed for you, and, and um, channeled their kindness and their energy and their love into your life. That was love to them. And for these disciples, what were they thinking? Wow, for three and a half years, we've walked with Him and we've talked with Him and He took time for us and He taught us and He loved us and, and all of these things that, that made up what that word meant was lived before them. And you know, when people come into a church and they can tell that they're loved, they don't necessarily, they can't always describe it in words or they can't always break it down, but they know when they're loved. And the Bible here says, you need to love one another the same way I have loved you. I hope our church will be known for our love, not only for love's sake, but also for what it says in verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Hmm. Hmm. Now Jesus is saying this is the marker. This is the badge where other people will know. They can identify that you are a disciple of Jesus when you have love for each other. Jesus didn't say, by your purity, all will know that you are my disciples. He didn't say, by your sacrifice, he didn't say by your faith. He says by your love. And even notice this. He doesn't say by your love for sinners. Sinners will know that you're my disciples. He says actually all people will know by your love for each other. That means that the love we have for one another is a strong testimony or it's a strong display of the fact that we are the Lord Jesus' children in truth. And I think when we lack that love, it sends a mixed message. It sends a confusing message to those around us. Years ago, many years ago in the early church, the early church suffered what we call persecution. And what we mean by that is there were people that hated Christianity, they hated Jesus, and so some people were killed, some people were put in prison, some people were beaten, um, maybe it was ostracized or put out of the group. There was a lot of uh, persecution, right? And one of the pagans was writing um, and referring to uh, the Christians. And um, one of the church fathers heard this statement and he recorded it down. And, and this is what this pagan said, speaking of the Christians. He said this, Look at how the Christians love one another. And then he went on to say, for the, they themselves, that is the pagans, hate one another. And then he said of the Christians, look at how they are ready to die for each other. And then speaking of the pagans, he said, for they themselves are readier to kill each other. And what he's laying out here is that here you have these Christians who love each other and the pagans hate each other. And you have the Christians who are ready to die for each other and you have the pagans that are trying to kill each other. And he says, what a contrast. Right? What a difference. Christianity is meant to be different from the world. Not just in a holiness manner, but in a manner of love. True, deep, meaningful love. You know, our world sings a lot of songs about love. If you turn on the radio station, 
Um, now, depending on which genre of music you pick, there might be some, some variety, but I mean, if you pick pop or country or uh, rock, right, there'll be all these references to love. She loves me and I love her and we love each other. What the world needs is love and on and on you can find love, love, love. And the world really deep down knows that we need to love each other. But they're still looking for it. Where is it at? I mean, where is true love at? Where is love that you can trust? And Jesus says, look, the world, the world that is looking for love, when they look at you, Christians, and they see your love and your sacrifice and your spirit of love for each other, it will show them that you are my disciples, that you are truly Christ. It will mean something to them. It's certainly not the only measure of being a disciple of Christ, you know. And, and today the world has their own definition of love, you know. For, for some people, love is just agreeing with everything I say or do. And, and that's not true Bible love, and we know that. But he says, people will know, people will see. I hope that when people come to Every Nation Baptist Church, they say those people love each other. They care about one another. And I can tell that they are the Lord's. Now, in verse 36 and 37, we see... Uh, a restatement about Jesus going away. And this is because Simon Peter, who has probably missed verse 34 and 35, is, is coming back to verse 33. So verse 36 says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And he says, look, you, you say you're going and, and we can't find you. Where, where is it that you're going? Um, we've been able to follow you all these years. Where is it you're going now? And let's remember, Peter's having a hard night. I mean, he's already objected to Jesus' foot washing and publicly told he doesn't understand what's going on. He had asked John to try to find out the identity of Judas, and he didn't get a good answer there. And now he continues by, um, you know, going down this path of, Lord, where are you going? And his, Jesus' answer to him is not very comforting, is it? Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Oh, so I can't follow you now, but I'll follow you later. Well, that doesn't really give a lot of answer to the question, where are you going, right? <laughs> That's very cryptic. I mean, where are you going? Peter wants to hear something like Galilee Point North. You know, he wants to have a town. He wants to have a place. Where are you going? But Jesus just says, where I'm going, you can't come right now, but you're going you're gonna to come later. You're going to follow me later. And so Peter pushes back, and, and he asks a, a second question, verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Why is it I can't follow you now? I want to follow you now. Now this is very good of Peter because it shows his heart for Jesus. It's very sincere. Do you remember the first time Peter was told to follow Jesus? The first time was when he was out fishing, right? And Jesus came along and he said, I will make you fishers of men. Leave your nets and follow me. And Peter did. Peter left his nets. He followed him. And for three and a half years, Peter followed Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, Peter went. You know, it's almost, it's probably a bad comparison, but have you ever had a dog that just followed you everywhere? You know, it's just like wherever you go, there goes the dog. And some farmers have a dog like that, you know. They get on the four-wheeler and they go here and there goes the dog. And the dog just all, everywhere. And then for that dog to be half to told, stay. And that master walks. Oh, that's hard for that dog, right? Well, Peter, he's, he's kind of ignorant sometimes, and he sticks his foot in his mouth sometimes, but he does follow Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, Peter goes. 
And now he's frustrated. Lord, why can I not follow you now? And then he even goes on to say, I will lay down my life for your sake. Peter's starting to get the picture a little bit that Jesus is going into a hard place, that he is going to run into some problems with his enemies. And he says, look, if you're going to die, I'm going to go die with you. I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Here Jesus foretells Peter's failures. This is recorded in other Gospels as well. And and Peter responds in in much the same way. For instance, in, um, I believe this is Matthew, Jesus said to him, You shall all be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you into Galilee. And listen to this. But Peter said to him, Although all shall be made to stumble, yet I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this day, even in this night, before the rooster crows twice, you shall deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you in any way. They all said likewise. And so this conversation is even bigger and more developed than just what we read here. And Peter is insisting, I will not leave you. I will not deny you. I will stay by your side. Do you remember as the story unfolds how they're out in the garden and the soldiers come and what does Peter do? Takes out his sword and he begins to fight. And he cuts off the ear of, of, of the servant of the high priest, Malchus. And Jesus has to tell him, put that away. Put, put that away. And, and Peter puts the sword away. And then Jesus is arrested. Peter had such a night of confusion. Such a night of frustration. This, I believe, would be the worst night of his life. He's losing Jesus. He's trying to keep his word. He's failing. And then he ends up denying the Lord three times. But I'm thankful that, do you know that Jesus even, even, he knew that this would happen. And he told Peter it would happen, but he told him what to do afterwards. He told him what to do later. And I'm thankful that our Lord not only sees our failures, but he always has a plan for us to get back on track. This is an important point that you need to learn right now. Sometimes we get off track spiritually. Sometimes we begin to fail with the best of intentions. Sometimes we fail miserably. But Jesus always has a plan for us to be back on track, back with him, back doing what he wants us to do for him. This call in these these words, really what's happening is there's a number of questions. Peter asks a question. Philip asks a question. Judas, not Iscariot, asks a question. There's one other disciple. And so Jesus is teaching them, and he responds to these different questions as we work throughout the passage. But Jesus is really urging these his disciples look the story's not over i'm being glorified look you really need to love each other there there's a problem here in this group y'all are arguing and divided and fighting and you need to love one another and then he he warns them about the fact that he's going away and he's leaving them christian i don't know which portion of the passage ministered to you you the most which reminder was needed the most Let me just take a little moment on love and then we'll be finished here tonight. You know, when I was thinking about the way that he urges them to love on this specific night, 
I want to suggest some, some specific application. Jesus says, love each other. Why don't you step in and wash some feet? Serve one another in love. He says, love each other in your deep moments of grief. As those disciples are going to grieve and to be confused in the departure of Jesus, Jesus urges them to love each other. Sometimes we need to love each other when one of us is lost, right? When one of us is in the darkness of confusion and grief. Third, love each other in the midst of change. When big change comes into our lives, it is troubling sometimes. Sometimes we lose our footing in the midst of deep change. We need to love each other. How about this? Love each other even unto death. Jesus, in the final moments before his death, says, I have loved you, now you love each other. You know, John the Apostle would go throughout his life emphasizing love, and he did so all the way unto death. Don't just love for part of the time. Love God's people until you're gone. Next, love each other by forgiving through me. Jesus would offer forgiveness on the cross. He would give his life as a ransom for sinners, and then he calls us, hey, you love people the way I have loved you. How did he love us? By forgiveness. Also, love each other, even those who will fail you. Christian, have you ever had someone fail you? Another believer? Sometimes other believers do fail us. But let's face it, all 11 of these would fail Jesus, wouldn't they? And Jesus says, love each other. Love each other. Even when people fail you, continue to love them. This is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. This new covenant has a new command that we love one another as he has loved us. May we be a church known for love. May we be a people known for love. And most of all, may it be the love of Christ in us that others would see that we are indeed the children of God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for this chance.